Welcome to Uplifting Women Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Welcome to another episode of Uplifting Women podcast. This is Kristen Strunk, and I am here with my co-host, Holly Tesca. And we are thrilled to have as our guest today, Stephanie Thomas, who is an organizational psychologist, developer of leaders, and a con- constant study of what it means to be a human in the workplace. In her current role as the management training lead at Faden International, which is a staffing and recruitment firm, she works with leaders at all stages of their careers, from helping first-time managers take on the player coach role with confidence all the way up to managing directors aligning larger goals with healthy workplace cultures. Stephanie lives in New York City with her partner of 10 years and can be found on the weekends cooking with her nonprofit group, East Village Loves NYC. And we've just learned that they turn out over 3,000 meals a weekend. And Stephanie, welcome to Uplifting Women. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I know it's been a long time coming since Holly and I first connected back at Air Consulting. Um, I've been an avid listener and always feels a little surreal to be on the other end of it, seeing how the sausage is made, not to <laughs> not to expect <laughs> what's happened. But um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. And I'll also say with East Village Laws NYC, we, we're down to a humble uh, probably 1,000 to 2,000 a weekend now with inflation. It's really hit our um, scalability. But yep. Yep, yep, yep. And when we get to the end of the podcast today, we'll have a place where you can go ahead and reach out to East Village Loves NYC if you would like to help support them. But Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. I am so interested in your story as how you got to where you are and doing the work that you so obviously have a passion for. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. You know, and thinking about coming here today and like telling my story, I was kind of struck with which story do I tell? Um, And, you know, can can I remind you, Stephanie, that when we first started talking about you doing this, you said to me, I don't think I have a story to tell. And I'm like, huh? Do you remember that conversation? I do. And I actually have a whiteboard where I went and tried to like map out themes of myself, who I am. Honestly, I, I think a couple things boil down into like how to, to look at my story. So one, in terms of like the work I'm at that I care about and passionate about, that boils down to like my 
selfish love and desire for uh, being close with humans. I've just always been such a social person. Growing up, my mom would say that I could become friends with a rock. Um, and and I think that that's what's driven me and also um, caused me a lot of um, struggle and indecision at time of like, okay, I know I love humans and I want to work with humans, but that, you know, kind of is everywhere on this planet unless I'm like going to go be a researcher of like squirrels in the forest. So I knew that wasn't an option, but it was left me with a lot to figure out. But um, where I think it kind of comes from um, for myself and if I, I go back, you know, I'm I come from a constant socially diverse and um, intertwined background. I'm one out of six kids, full siblings. We were all homeschooled. So they're at home intertwined. Um, I'm the middle child and you might be able to tell because I'm the loudest. I know how to get fed. This is for sure what I've learned in my life. Like pipe up, be funny, be a performer and and you won't get forgotten at school pickup. Um, though it yeah, still might happen because there's a lot of kids a lot of moving parts. Um, on top of this, my mom is French. So I'm a dual citizen of France in the US and my parents met in New York City. So they'd always had a large international network where my God family down in Long Island um, were, are Guyanese. Uh, we had friends coming in from Kazakhstan. We had, um, you know, connections to Dominican Republic. And so I think growing up, it was always, you know, there wasn't much one-on-one time with me and a sense of myself as an individual is kind of just like always in this blend of social experience and like happenings in the household and uh, what was taking place. And I think that that's ultimately been what shaped me as an individual that I, sh I struggle to think on one-to-one -one level or thinking of individuals as a single unit. Um, it's constantly within a, um, what I've now come to learn from my studies in organizational psychology, kind of a systems perspective. Uh, we all live within a permeable system of external influences and cultural values and, uh, you know, norms that apply in one area and not in another. And I've had to encounter that personally with being homeschooled in a microcosm and then introduced to the world and feeling very othered and weird and strange at times. Um, and to then now living in New York City, where goodness, there's just so many norms and traditions and values that I just, I, I just want to be a sponge and learn from as much as possible from others, um, be open-minded, be a safe space for people. And um, where I've matured, I'd say over the years is now it's about, okay, well, how can we make business impact out of this? How can I take this and personally at my level have a fulfilling career from it um, and not feel as though I'm doing emotional labor on behalf of others? Um, and yeah, like turning it into a tangible strategy. And I almost think of myself as like a social strategist at this point. Um, so that's my long-winded wow. story. <laughs> wow. Wow. So how, to what age were you homeschooled? I was homeschooled until I was, until I was 11. Now, it, the, that's a wonky answer because there was one year when I was in third grade where my mom took a break with all of us kids and put us into public school. And then um, the ones that were older, like post middle school, stayed in public school through graduation. And then the others of us were brought back for homeschooling. 
And then when I did transition out of public school, I was very resistant to going um going into public school itself. Um, so at this point, my parents were divorcing and home life was utter chaos. I had my siblings go through middle school and had been bullied pretty terribly for like, you know, just our strange background, you know, kind of being the weirdos on the block and, and middle school. I don't think anyone says that it's a delightful time. Yeah, no. No, um, it's rough, yeah. rough time. And on top of this, my parents and having six, six kids and in particular my mother in having so much in in homeschooling us she was also our judo sensei like there was a lot of constant involvement our 4-h leader which uh for some reason i feel like holly you may have been involved in 4-h at some point or christian i don't know it might be my assumptions of midwesterners so you can call me out on that you you can <laughs> you can um, but so she was all these things for us and we were you know you can see me i'm, I'm verbose i'm high energy and I was locked that like stuck at home not seeing peers or kids of my age um my mother in attempt to like you know rein us and navigate us she pushed hard to get me diagnosed with ADHD when I was young um as most people of my generation were you know we're like oh look we've got these pills let's try them out um and so I was actually being positioned with if I went into public school they were going to put me into a special needs class and not in with normal with 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 peers or what it might be and and you know I just I don't know why but there is a theme in my life where no matter how young or whatever I feel like I have the power to make the decision and I said no and I put my foot down and we found this very not-for-profit private school um, that was all skills based like you tested into math into arts into music um, and my mom ended up getting a job there too as a French teacher, being French worked out well. Um, and so my tuition was just about, you know, non-existent or, you know, fully mm -hmm. covered. And so I did that until I eventually went into public school um, in 10th grade. And so think of like my school trajectory, it was a household of six kids, then a tiny private school of seventh grade to 12th grade, uh, about 30 kids in total. So very high touch, very small. And then 10th grade, a high school of 2,500. Wow. Yeah. wow. Wow. Interesting start to your life. Yeah. A very interesting <laughs> start. So what's the age span on that six kids? 14 years. And I'm right in the middle of seven years between me and the oldest, seven years between me and the youngest. Wow. Wow. And then we have step siblings on top of it. Um, when my parents divorced, my um, funny enough, my American father remarried a German woman, um, and my mother remarried a um, American man who had grown up a dairy farmer, and my father had grown up a poultry farmer. So I always kidded that my my parents have types, uh, <laughs> but um. I have four additional step siblings, one of whom, um, yeah, has um had severe febrile seizures when he was a young child, like an infant, and caused brain damage and in turn developmental delays. And so he still lives at home um, in his 30s. But yeah, my, my brother, my stepbrother, Alex, really into trains, uh, can tell you all the engines, any of it. Um, but I, yeah, I always big household, large, yeah. and then at one point, multi-generational as well with um, a grandmother living with us. So in some respects, it's it's almost predictable that you would have this fascination 
for learning about people, systems, societies, how it all fits together. I mean, it's just kind of an extension of your life and fitting all the puzzle pieces together. A hundred percent. You know, I I think all of us growing up in certain stages, whatever, we get this messaging of, oh, there's a right way to be or behave. You know, you get that as a kid of like, you better behave, you better be doing this. And I was exposed to so much variation and so much possibilities in the human existence that it boils down to, well, what does that mean then? And, And kind of discrediting that there's an ultimate truth. Ultimately, it's about adapting. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. That's a really interesting perspective. Hmm. So you went to Columbia. What was that like after? It was, it was really, um, it it felt like an, an obvious like okay it was awesome let's all say that like right like going to ivy league schools feels like hot stuff it really feels accomplishing um but at the same time has to be acknowledged as an absolute uh privilege i applied to all the master's programs in new york city and one near um, saratoga by albany for um, organizational psychology i knew i was like okay right people in the workplace that gives me a lot of options in my career i fortunately was accepted into all of them. And, you know, looking here in New York City, we have the CUNY system, which is incredibly affordable. And I was looking at being able to pay for a two-year program with savings. And then there's Columbia, which you pay into the brand, you pay into the crown, as one of my professors put it once. And I made the choice of I'm I'm going to do that because I want to have the flexibility and I want to have this this ticket, this kind of this this yeah. I, I call it my card to play. Like you can say like, hey, yep, yeah. been there. Um, now being at that in the program, um, it it was just it was also exactly the program I wanted. There's other, you know, organizational psychology um, programs where they'll teach you, right, here's the research, here's the theories, here's the stats, you know, kind of very rigid curriculum. And at Columbia, I had the opportunity to, um, yep, there was core classes I needed to hit, but I had the opportunity to take electives in all sorts of different areas. And this allowed me to um, really expand myself as an individual. So I took a course on microaggressions with Daryl Wing Sue, who is the, you know, the founding thought leader of microaggressions and implicit racism. And um, I got to take classes on um, the psychology of sex and gender and what goes into, you know, the diversity in that space. Um, and I got to take courses with the um, uh, Dr. Terry Malpia, who heads up um, the coaching program at Columbia and got to take pieces on cultural competence, which, as you can just tell from my story, was of personal interest and value. Um, And so, you know, it goes to what you were talking about earlier, Holly, about your um, personal development through your coaching program. I didn't know what job I was going to plug my master's into because it just felt so holistically fulfilling and growing for me like Mm -hmm. I bettered as an individual in broadening my perspective of again that human experience what goes into it 
and the baggage I'm bringing to the table and um, yeah, gaining awareness and ownership on that and also confidence on what you're perceiving as having validity. Mm -hmm. That had to be quite a culture shock for you having grown up in and being schooled in this family situation mm-hmm. and kind of tiptoeing your way through more of the formal learning experience, you know, mm. when you did go to the private school and everything, what was that like for you? Mm-hmm. So the tiptoeing journey itself or even at? Well, yeah. I mean, by the time you got to Columbia, I mean, we're talking, this is this big, yeah. it's huge. And I mean, you're used to being at home with six siblings and a mom and, yeah. you know, then you went to smallish schools yeah. and here you're at giant Columbia. Yeah. I mean, I crept that's my a way big, up. That's a I never saw thing. that. I never saw that trend before until you just said it. Um, honestly, it may have been something I was unconsciously seeking because I am, if anything, I am relentless and a total progress junkie. And so once I've been, you know, told a certain thing of, oh, you're going to need to be in special needs classes, something in me is just like, F that, let's go. And I, again, hammer, like, I just get down on that grit of push through and go. Um, I think that I always had this assumption that I was in the wrong growing up because I, I, you know, I had such insular jokes and insults and dynamics that you can get away with with siblings that do not fly with friends, do not fly with people who are not blood that don't need to be around you. And so I constantly had this um, feeling of misstepping and particularly because it's like the peer group at that time, like, you know, again, no one's working on tact when they're 13, uh, 15, like, nope, not priorities. So I felt I was pushed really early on to have an awareness of self and on others. And there's times I over-indexed on that and it created a lot of anxiety and it created a lot of feelings of inadequacy and all that, which fortunately I I got to mature out of and see as like, what a fallacy, like, you know, again, there's no right. There's just what's happening. Um, And so, yeah, I, I, 100%. I think that there's a piece of validating myself as a human that is, that is (laughs) normal, like not feeling like I'm out and, you know, just this outsider constantly for my life, Um, that, you know, I'm capable and that I, I, yeah, I got to be in this place where I I did belong. Um, Yeah, I I think that that's, I hadn't been able to think about that before, but that's 100% kind of, there was something very validating about yeah. going to yeah. Columbia. Yeah, I, I well, I, I can only imagine, but um, I'm kind of projecting my own feelings on that. I'm thinking it's kind of like a I've arrived moment. It felt like I arrived, but then at the same time, it was like, I have debt and I need to get a job and I still don't know like I I I'd done like these internship stints, was doing things, but I didn't know yet how to transform it into... Um, the next thing. And again, like progress junkie, that yeah. is me to the core. There's no, like, there's, I'm, I'm only now feeling a little more situated as I like, you know, I'm a year out from 30 and I'm like, finally, okay. I don't feel like I'm constantly trying to um, reach something. I'm enjoying the process. 
I mean, to live here. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Columbia, Yay. I felt a very anxiety inducing of, okay, what do I do with this next? How do I yeah. transform this? Sure. Sure. Wow. Wow. So now I have to ask you, so where did the chef piece come from? So the chef piece came from, it's funny because the chef piece is something I'm perhaps most proud of in my life right now. And the way I got myself equipped to the point of raising my hand up to cook for Evie Loves is from a time that felt really low. So to that point of feeling, you know, reaching Columbia and being like, cool, I've arrived here. It was kind of this theme of, you know, I was one of six kids and I would say all my siblings, you know, my, my parents were very busy and spread thin and had a really, uh, you know, poor quality marriage. And so we weren't, you know, there just wasn't much support. There wasn't much there, um, wasn't much, you know, lovey-dovey or anything of that. And so I think oftentimes I was looking for someone to validate me, someone um, to move me along, and and also definitely had this script in my mind of hard work will pay off. And particularly as a woman of like, I'm, you know, not seeing much ahead of me here, or like, you know, where do I see myself in society? What are the true options here? Um, I buckled down hard through high school and college to have excellent grades. And I worked the whole time. I had a minimum of four jobs at a given moment in college. I did housekeeping. I was a chemistry TA, a chemistry lab technician. I was a, a career advisor. I was a writing tutor. Uh, I was an RA. And I also had a 4.0 average, like constant go, go, go. And yet um, I graduated and I did like I was thinking of going to med school and I treated my MCATs like I did an SAT they just scores weren't good enough to go into like you know where I applied and uh, so I was reaching this moment of like shoot shoot I worked so hard and all for what and I'm telling you like work hard like stress like insomnia like beat myself up high standards you know the classic type yeah. a anxious high performer uh, existence which is miserable um and my my partner had graduated the year before me and he was waiting like yeah we're gonna go where you go for med school we'll figure out our life from there and it just came like halfway through my senior year of like oh med school is probably not gonna happen and um and I, you know, started and then I was like, okay, where do we go? And so started applying places in the city because he was in the city, he was born and raised here. And he got into a coding boot camp during that time. And I was like, okay, I guess that's that's the that's the nudge for our direction right now. You go do that. And so I had a interview at an asbestos an analysis lab in New York. So something about backstory, I'm an organizational psychologist now, but I also love chemistry because for me, the periodic table of elements is like a bunch of personalities. They all interact and they come to some really get along well, others don't. Even molecules, when they're together, they're positioned in a certain way, things happen. Like I totally have a particle theory that applies to human beings and like I loved it. I just could never translate chemistry into my love for humans like I could translate my love for humans into chemistry of like look at it it's all happening it's so human um but that's why I was thinking like med school kind of does that but yeah whatever uh so I digress I was like okay I'm gonna maybe just get a job in a, in a lab because I have this experience from chemistry labs I can do this so um I had an interview at an asbestos analysis lab but basically like after um 
natural disasters, these sites would send samples to this lab and we'd assess what the environmental contaminants are. So, um, you know, people can respond necessarily. Fantastic first interview with the lab directors, just like, love it. You're, you're so on top of this. This will be great. Um, and then I had an interview the day after my college graduation. So I graduated, then hopped on a bus with a couple outfits in there, like, you know, professional, whatever, down to the city and had my uh, follow-up interview with the, the co-director of the lab. And it, it also went really well and was fine. Like, yep, we see, I see what he saw in you. Like we could also put you in, you know, the black mold analysis lab. Like think of what my life could have been. It could have been so much fun. <laughs> but, uh... The black mold analysis lab. There's just something about that, that just, no, but That's look, not someone you. has to do that job. And I'm yeah. so appreciative that someone's doing that job. I've Me definitely too. come with time and distance to appreciate that I'm not doing that job. Yeah, you're not the right <laughs> person to be in that job at all. It's definitely a headphones in, quiet, doing your analysis, like run through. Yep. No, I would have um I would have lost my mind. Um, so yeah, I came down to the city and then I I just naive me not knowing how job markets work, knowing how interview processes work. Like again, my mom was stay-at-home mom, homeschooling us, and my dad was a doctor, very traditional set path career. No one was coaching me on like, Stephanie, this is how you get a job. This is, you know, reach out to HR. Like no one, I didn't know anything corporate, which is quite funny in contrast to my life now, which I always tell people is like the most corporate roles you can have and like jargon filled of just like, yeah, I support leadership within corporations and companies. And like, what does that mean? Um, but uh, what was I saying? Back on track. Um, yeah. So oh, I, I came to the, the interview. City. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I'd had the interview and then I just felt like I needed to stay around. Like, what if they call me? What if they need me to start next week? Like, I better be here. Um, and it became apparent that they weren't going to call me. And so I was still applying to all these different labs and doing this. Um, but again, like kind of conscious of like, I need to make something happen. I and I've always have, you know, I've been cooking and baking since I was a kid. It was something that my I would do with my dad, um, learn certain recipes. And I one time like put on a restaurant night for my siblings. Like I really love that idea of hospitality and like the energy that goes into it and the impact you can have on people. And so I was walking on my block where I still live now. And um, there was a help wanted poster on a bakery. And I came in and I, I always kid, uh, I joked with the owner that I think I borderline threatened them. I was like, yeah, I live on the block. <laughs> like, you want to give me a job of like, I, I know where you, like, I'm not going anywhere type thing. Um, and I worked there for three years while I sorted my shit in New York City of what, wow. who am I going to be? What's my profession? And again, like, oh, I had this 4.0 and all these jobs and all this work and I haven't converted it to anything. And um, during that time, I was like, maybe I'll, you know, get my PhD and like, I'm good at school. How about I just like go to school, become a professor or something. And so I was like, maybe I'll do a PhD in psych. And um, I talked to my professors from my undergrad and they were like, you should see if um, you can do research work anywhere in the city. And I spammed, like, you know, wrote in my little email template and everything. And I spanned probably over 40 professors across New York City and like went to interviews in Fordham and all over. It was like about to go down to Staten Island, which for context 
it would be a rare, a big schlep of a commute. Um, and I lucked out that one of the professors I spammed at Queens College had turned out he'd moved to NYU and was building out his research laboratory for uh, behavioral disruptive disorders in children. And which, you know, if you remember back to me having been like, di like kind of forcibly diagnosed with ADHD, it felt really cathartic and like a great ex like wow this is stars aligning and it's a 15 minute walk from my house so obviously I came to New York and I created a small town for myself very quickly bakery on the block where I work and I'm serving my neighbors essentially and then when I'm done with the bakery run to the research lab 15 minutes away at NYU and do those things and to tie it into the bigger story of things I basically, while studying for my psych GREs for the doctorate, learned about org psych. And I was like, oh, wow, there's a way simpler way of doing this. So, wow. But yeah, but for the chef to EV loves. So, you know, when you work in a, a, an industrial kitchen, you learn how to scale things. Or at the very least, you get a food handler's license. <laughs> so I had a food handler's license, which uh, New York uh, City Sanitation Department requires you have on site anytime you're preparing food on a commercial basis or, you know, larger basis. And so... Um, the East Village, we it's a very old school neighborhood. It was always like the welcoming ground of like waves of immigrants. So it has like its own community. And um, there's a blog called Evie Greaves, um, which it's for its own reasons, whatever. And I learned about this group that was doing food, food donations and like grocery donations during the pandemic because what happened was with the pandemic, restaurants shut down, which meant there wasn't extra food being given to people. Sure. Also, the vulnerable population of autoimmune or older individuals, they typically are the ones to volunteer at soup kitchens. And so you had soup kitchens shutting down and not happening. And so the food insecurity skyrocketed during the pandemic. And so um, they were, you know, pulling together and, and my partner and I, we had one time where um, our upstairs neighbor, she got meals on wheels and she was given too many meals and brought some back down for us. And I remember sitting there and we had like 10 meals and I was like, why is it that us, two people who have not been laid off, have full-time jobs, we have extra food right now and others don't. And so I made a point of like, okay, we're going to eat these. And instead the groceries that we would have been cooking this week, that's what we're going to donate. And so when I went to donate the groceries to the individuals, I offered, and I was just like, hey, in case you ever need someone on site with a food handler's license, I got you. And they were like, oh yeah, probably we'll need that probably. And um, the, you know, kind of went back and forth. And finally I, I took a charity day off from the company I was working um, at the time and I went on a Tuesday and it was the Tuesday right after um, riots had sprung up around George Floyd's murder and so New York City had a curfew in place uh, you know the smell of burnt tires still in the air and just bottled up tension of wow there's all this injustice and there's not much we can do about it and I was fortunate to take that energy go into the kitchen and cook 250 pounds of onions and like 300 pounds of lentils. And, um, and that was, and, and just with awesome people. And uh, yeah, I've been doing that work now. I'm approaching three years and which is just astonishing to look back on and the lessons I've learned in that kitchen and how it's connected to just overall being like who I am as a person and as a professional, like 
it's been integral to my development and my attitude on keeping the eye on the bigger purpose because it's so hard to get fed up on petty little things and dynamics, which happen with humans wherever you go. But when the end goal is get food out the door to people, it kind of cuts out the stupid shit really quickly. And so, yeah. You know, Stephanie, you're not even 30 years old yet. No. You know, you've, you've lived more life than. That's I'm like, which story am I going to tell you? (laughs) In in many, you've lived a bigger life than lots of 85 year olds that I know. And there's so much life and vibrancy in you and curiosity. You know, I just, I look into your eyes and I see curiosity. Like, why is this like this? And is this, is this the way it's worked? Is this the way it could work the best? And I think I can make this better. That's exactly what I see in your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just have to be careful with the eyes to to not look at myself too much. Um, <laughs> is that right? scary? Is that scary? Oh, well, it's, it's again, like that whole piece of progress. I constantly want to grow and succeed and, and, you know, be better. And again, going back to like, I definitely have a fear built in me from being a kid that I'm going to be in the wrong and that I'm going to be misunderstood and that I'm going to F something up socially with people like for me social contract is very important because of the limited like being a social being with limited social exposure growing up um but I I'm still human and something I've been I had a colleague of mine at work who I know is going to listen to this podcast so this is a little shout out to to you she knows who she is but she shared with me this instance of um defining humility that humility is a mixture of one keeping your vanity in check that you can't be the best for everybody and then also keeping yourself loathing in check that you also are good enough i love that yeah and that's that's the part of look i'm going to continuously look at myself and try to do better but how can i also give myself a break and also understand like to be humans like we're not, there's no, it's not good. It's not bad. And even when I do something good, it could hurt someone in another context. So how do I let it go and let go of control of like, you know, I'm going to have an immaculate impact here and, and just be Stephanie and understand that some people are going to actually hate that and others are going to like it. And I got to suck it up. It's amazing. And it's an interesting approach and perspective. And I'm curious if you, in the work that you've done, believe that to be not uniquely um, part of the the female experience, but, you know, is it more of, do you, have you noticed more of in, you know, work with females or that exposure to that that particular energy or or maybe sense of responsibility that we feel towards everybody else I think that unfortunately females can get hung up on being female (laughs) and it's something I've had to look at because I also you know I very much do see human experience on a spectrum 
I myself have a sibling who has come out as transgender non-binary, and I believe that that goes root to their existence, to how they were born, what their experience has been. And for myself, I've definitely had the strong voice in my head of um, to be female is to have something wrong with you. As terrible as that sounds, but that's kind of the messaging I was brought up with. And, you know, to the point where my mother, as well intending as she is, often even admitted to us that she, I, I, there were um, four females assigned at birth and then two boys in my family. And um, she always said she'd wish we'd all been men because it's a men's world. And it's taken me many years as I've gotten older to differentiate that the inequality doesn't exist within me. Like, it, it it's something that may exist out in the world and that I don't need to own it. So to your point, Kristen, on like, you know, the the feeling of responsibility and like, you know, to improve and do better, that's a hundred percent something I'm trying to shake off. And how can I show up as Stephanie and be prepared to point out when someone's trying to make something about gender? But I've had to learn that if I'm if I'm the one constantly owning, going into every conversation that, oh no, this person might perceive me as less than, that I am putting myself on the back foot already. And that doesn't serve me at all. So how do I make sure I'm actually having the conversations I want to be having? And am I equipped to point out the conversations that I think are unproductive? That's been a turning, an empowering turning point for me. Um, yeah, I really love that. I really, really love that because I too, you know, and you're actually bringing up um, a feeling for me about, you know, I, I don't, I don't go into situations either thinking about, am I a woman? Does that put me in a bad position? I mean, I, I jump in both feet and, and I don't think about that. And, you know, and that's probably good for me, but you have to wonder what, what struggles have come about that I just was completely oblivious to because I didn't have that perception ignorance is that, bliss <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 exactly ignorance is bliss it's interesting and good lord are women told to be aware of themselves like don't wear that yeah. better not speak like this like the fact that the research showing that women are given um subjective feedback as opposed oh, yeah. to objective actionable feedback yeah. constantly be aware of yourself as a female in this in this space and I can't say I've fully shaken that off. I would love to say that I have, but no, I'm very well aware of, you know, jewelry I'm selecting, the clothing I'm wearing, makeup, you know, all that stuff. But I'm trying to see it more as an expression of me and not an expression of gender. Good for you. And that's been, again, the lessons learned on that piece of the the spectrum behind it as well of you know, I don't, I don't shave my legs nor my armpits, which is a big deal because growing up and being French, you're always teased of like hairy armpits. And now I'm like, oh shoot, I'm fulfilling their stereotype like to a T. Um, but I've, I've, you know, and in this new role at Faden, I'm finally back in person in the office. And this is something, you know, the not shaving is a choice that I made during the pandemic because it stopped making sense to me. I realized just how much I was doing it as part of a social construct. 
and that it was a big inconvenience to me because I only have a bathtub in my apartment and no shower. And so I was like, this is logistically a pain in the butt. I'm going to stop. But I had to th- like, I, it's taken, I've had to, I'm battling myself more than anyone else on accepting it and that it's okay and owning myself as I come into a space with, I, I, I've worn a skirt maybe once that showed my legs. And do you know what? No one gave a care about it except for me. And so I'm, yeah, still shaking off all that. It's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. And think about all the energy that you put into worrying about it. Oh gosh. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, (laughs) that's, that's the point around, you know, privilege and human experience. Yeah. Right. How much are you, being put to burn energy and worry about yourself in a physical space and with others and what I really want to do in my time on this world is make it easier for myself and make it easier for others what amazing that's an amazing message cool I didn't know I had that message (laughs) amazing message is there any other words of wisdom you want to leave for our listeners today before we wrap up it's been a wonderful conversation. We've been all over the roadmap, but you're complex. Yeah. You're uh, complex in a really energizing way. <laughs> I love uh, it. Having fun. I'm having fun as I go. Um, I think that the advice that I'd want to give listeners and to anybody and particularly to younger me is... Um, Every mo like every moment is living right. Sometimes there's this idea of, oh, I'm I'm gonna be living or I'm gonna be successful once I reach this. Or um, you know, just this whole idea of a destination and and doing things the right way. And if I look back at, you know, my story and pieces I've covered today, every piece is part of the journey. Every piece is integral. Don't disregard it. Um I know something that stood out to me too with the pandemic of like, oh, this is still life. Life has not been put on pause. This is still life happening right now. And I say that to validate experiences others are having and to validate that progress looks different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And accepting that can be hard Mm -hmm. sometimes. It It takes work to be at peace with that. Yeah. Yeah. And not judging it yeah. or expecting and like waiting yeah. for something and just understanding this work yeah. today does add up. Exactly. And, you know, I take that from meditation practice, mm. you know, not judging it, just noticing it. Right. Yeah. Just noticing that passing feeling or thought and not laying a label on it of any sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I could give a real actionable feedback to people, it'd be space yourself in social media because social media is designed around labeling yeah, the experience totally. and totally. seeps into your perception of every moment. Yes. And Yes, yes. And I have gladly deactivated my Twitter account. <laughs> I am, <laughs> Kristen's laughing hysterically in the background here. Um. I've deactivated that. I don't want anything to do with that nonsense anymore. My Mm -hmm. limited social network on Facebook is more about sharing pictures of cute dogs and 
my grandkids activities. I was going to say grandbabies <laughs> is a whole nother excuse. But, yeah. That's a whole different excuse, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am finding less and less to be excited about on social media these days. It's just, um, yeah. So well said, Stephanie. <laughs> Well, we have gone on for a good long time and it's going to take us a bit to put this in a compressed format, but man, it's going to be hard to figure out what, what not to include. It's been an amazing conversation. So thank you so very, very much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for letting me ramble. I am, um, I've been told, I think it's like the backhanded compliment of I'm articulate or, or like I'm very uh, expressive. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, um, you think out loud. Yeah, I am. I'm a verbal processor. hundred yeah. percent. I am too. And I can always appreciate that. And actually I think some of the best, some of the best um, thinking ideas it comes from that because we're all in that space together, sort of sharing mm -hmm. what's coming up, what's, what's sparking in our heads. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a, been a wonderful time, Stephanie. Thank you again. I appreciate your time and I wish you wonderful holidays ahead Thank you. and a healthy, happy, prosperous, and wildly successful 23. Woo! Thank you. So nice to meet you, Kristen. Wishing you both good, happy holidays as well. It was right. very nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Of course. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.